0: This is Igniting Biblical Social Justice. With your host, Pastor Donald Burlock Sr. Good afternoon.
1: My name is Donald Burlock, and I'm currently a student at Aquinas Institute of Theology, located in St. Louis, Missouri. With me on this podcast today is Dr. Ramon Batts. He is a native of Indianapolis, Indiana, and pastor of Greater Zion Hill Baptist Church in the inner city of Indianapolis. He has an educational administration license and has a passion for urban schools in the Indianapolis community. With us also today is Pastor Mike Schultz. He is a graduate of Asbury Theological Seminary. Pastor Mike has served in youth and collegiate ministry and has been a lead pastor for 27 years, ministering in churches in South Dakota and Michigan. He is currently serving as Campus and Community Connections Pastor at Trinity Church here in Fishers, Indiana. Pastor Mike has vast missionary and cross-cultural experience in serving overseas and has a passion to see more unity in the church between the cultures represented in our city. We're excited to be with you both today to discuss specific issues of concern around biblical social justice in general, the silence of white churches around issues of social justice, and how this continues to impact our educational system. We also want to explore if the church can play more of an instrumental role in the educational system of Indianapolis and surrounding communities, and what should that look like. Pastors, welcome, and thank you for your time this afternoon.
2: Thank you, Don. Thanks for the invitation. We appreciate being here. Thank you so much, Pastor.
1: Yeah, so let's move right into our topic today. The first question of importance to lay the foundation of our discussion this afternoon is, how would each of you define biblical social justice? Mike, why don't we start with you?
2: You know, really, it, it has to do with establishing the presence of rightness. It has to do with, with being right, doing right. It has to do with doing right and being right across cultural lines, across all lines that would traditionally separate. Um, and it has to do with confronting injustice wherever it's found, wherever it's seen. And in in addition to that, I would, I would, I would just add that, um,
0: that it certainly has to do with love and how you love, um, when you love. Uh, I think there was some things that, um, we we leave out we just love but you know there's times that you got to show love and you have to show the love of Christ um, and so it's in those times that I find that uh, in terms of biblical social justice that Christ showed up um, in in some very different times uh, and show love when others wanted to show hate and so uh, I think that you know as Pastor Mike said and then in addition. Uh, that biblical social justice has, has some love involved. Mm-hmm. Amen.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, I we see examples of that in the Scripture where Christ practiced that, like with the woman at the well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the things of a concern today I've seen is that uh, there are many white evangelicals who are afraid of terms like systemic injustice, or institutional racism, and use labels that are echoed politically, like socialism, cultural Marxism, when discussing these topics, Uh, why are white evangelicals afraid to even begin a conversation around race, number one? And then second, why do these ministers of the gospel believe they have the right to set the boundaries of what's acceptable conversations around race?
0: Well, one of the things uh, I think, Pastor Burlock, um, that I see is that we have um, a number of people who don't want to look in the mirror um, and see some things that um, they or their families may may have caused um, and to continue to, um, to see the hurt and the pain upon others. And so you turned a blind eye to it. Um, and, and then you don't want to have that conversation because um, the conversation is about you and, and not about the dynamic that you built uh, for others to see. So uh, I w- that's the first part. I think Pastor Mike can take Well, I, I think <laughs> as you
2: add to that, I think one of the other elements is that <clears throat> there are so many people who believe that we are so far removed from um, from. Right the issues of, of slavery, et cetera, that, oh, those certainly couldn't be issues today. Mm-hmm. I think there's that feeling among many without recognizing that it has created an entire structure of privilege and benefit, of privilege mm-hmm. and benefit that has occurred. Um, and I think what happens is usually it ends up in a discussion about things like white privilege. And white privilege, um, many people that I know they balk against that term. I've started using the term, some benefits of being part of a dominant culture as opposed to white privilege. Partly because one of the, one of the specific that I know uh, was raised by a single mom uh, in a very, very tough situation. So, so, balks against the whole idea of white privilege but yet still has a difficulty recognizing that simply by being very tall, very large, and very white and male, there were doors that were open for him that would not have been open for anybody else and I think and one tough. of the
0: things that we have to look at too um, when, we, when we talk about um, um, people who do, we, we have people who want to define things so that they can swallow them mm-hmm. um, and so you know white white privilege is is not something that you know people want to um, want to hear, but you hear the word benefits you know then hey everybody has benefits but mm-hmm. but but everybody don't have privileges right mm-hmm. and so you know we have to learn to have honest conversations and courageous conversations with um certainly with everyone and I, I think that you know definitions are are what have been used to uh to suppress not just black people but but white people and indian people and you know, you, you have to define people in order for you to swallow it and for you to understand it. And so when you have a, a, a definition of what a individual is to you, um, then you're more able to um, to deal with it uh, in your
2: own way, whether it, it be good or bad. And I think, uh, Pastor Burlock, another one of the issues is is that I think it requires a certain amount of humility. And I think there are a lot of people who are not willing to humble themselves and say, "Um, I get it. Mm -hmm. It wasn't really a level playing field as time went on. Mm -hmm. I mean, even going back to things like on YouTube where you see the the race where a youth pastor has his kids line up for a 50-yard dash, Mm -hmm. and then he tells them, okay, if you've Never had to worry about the minutes on your phone. If you've come from a two-parent home, all the different ways that you take steps forward, and then he says, "Go, hey, we've given you all the same opportunity at this same at this same. You've all winning a fifty-yard dash, mm-hmm. but several of you started way ahead in the game. Yeah, it helps people see, and I think there's a need for for dominant quote the dominant culture, or the pervasive culture, to have a bit of humility to say." Yeah, I I didn't just earn all this. I did benefit from some of the things that were were built on the backs of others.
1: Yeah, so you believe that's why they really work at setting the boundaries even of what's acceptable conversation around race. Because when you look at that, um, you know, I almost ask myself, because you don't know motivations, but why, you know, why do they think that, uh, why do whites feel that they have the right to be the ones to determine what we should talk about?
2: Well, I agree. That's and that's a great question. I don't. I don't know that we always have a good answer. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think it's. I don't think that we we glass over that
0: because even though with that question becomes why is it why do black people allow white people to dominate the conversation or to say that you know this is um, it, we use the term black we use the term well that's that's what they say and we all know what they gonna do. Mm. Exactly. Well, we never talk about what, well, what are we doing? Right. What do we say? Right. Right. And does what we say mean anything? Yeah. And how does it mean something? Right. Yeah. How do we live that out? So,
1: right. Yeah. I think I want to touch on that later because I think we all need to have the freedom in this oneness of Christ to collectively have a voice. They should listen to uh, mm-hmm. African Americans and Latinos, whites should, and we should. Listen to them. And we, I think we've been doing that a long time cross-culturally right. uh, because since the 70s, we've been trying to, uh, uh, over the years, been trying to make connect- connection with our brothers and sisters who are white. Recently, a group of evangelical pastors and leaders drafted and signed a document that denounced political and social activism. They believe that social and political activism should not be primary to the mission of the gospel. How would you answer these Christian leaders?
0: Well, one, I, I, I would just, I mean, they're dead wrong. There's, there's no way that the gospel does not address political and social uh, activism. If, if that be true, then you wouldn't have people respond to the gospel differently. You would have one response to the gospel. You would have one understanding Of the gospel, and so to say that the gospel is not it does not address political and um, social activism um, is wrong. And is it isn't maybe it's not the primary mission, maybe, Mm -hmm. but it certainly is a part of of the mission of Mm -hmm. of the gospel uh, to make sure that. 'Cause when you talk talk about politics, leaders are in politics whether they want whether they want to or not. Mm-hmm. The man in the house is in politics whether he wants to be or not. Yes. Especially if he has if he has a wife and, and children in the home. You in politics. Mm-hmm. So you've got you've got all those personalities to deal with at at one time that you've got to that you've got to bring together to make decisions and to make votes and to make sure that everybody's going the same direction. That's politics. Mm-hmm. Amen. <laughs> Amen.
2: Yeah. So. Well, I think as well, you need to go back to what Dr. Bat said at the very beginning. He talked about the importance of love as part of it. I think it's impossible to deal with this without talking about the role that love plays. And when, when, you, love, you, when you love others, you love, first of all, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love others as yourself you cannot ignore the fact that that has social and sometimes even political implications mm-hmm. that otherwise it just becomes this ethereal feeling up above that, oh yeah, I have I have nice, warm, fuzzy feelings towards you. But if I have nice, warm, fuzzy feelings towards you, but I don't do anything to help establish justice on your behalf yeah. if I see that you are, are in some way disadvantaged, um, I think that there's... Uh, I think we missed the boat. I think it's the loving response to recognize that it is a both and, that a charitable love has to do with doing good to another, whether, irregardless of their ability to reciprocate. And I think that that's a big part of who we are as Christians. So I would definitely have difficulty with that statement.
0: And another thing I would say, I would answer, I would just shoot back a question to them, who are you to limit what the gospel does?
1: We know the gospel message in its essence, content, is that uh, Jesus uh, paid for sins. He died for sins according to the scriptures. He died and then he was he rose again on the third day. That's the content. We can't change the message of the gospel. But that message, uh, what you guys are saying, should be one that once it transforms us, we need to have some practical results that's reflective of it. It determines yeah, the mission. It, 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 you know, I think about this verse where it says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And so I think a lot of times this verse is looked at as only spiritual. Why is it not just spiritual, what Jesus says here?
0: Well, everyone that he, that he came to wasn't necessarily in the spirit. Hmm. So you, you ha- he, had to, he had to meet them where they were. And so he didn't show up shine, with his body shining and, and glowing and floating in, floating in air. <laughs> he, <laughs> he showed up looking like them. Yes. Uh, you know, maybe sometimes dingy, dusty, and and, and dirty dirty, um, but you know he showed up. He showed up like them. So right. you, you can't you can't put Jesus on on the pedestal when that's not where he wants to be.
1: Right. And uh, you know, I, I also he did practical things. How right. do you look at that, Mike?
2: Well, I think that that is an outward expression of his love. I think when you look at the fact that he violated religious customs and healed even on the Sabbath. When he asked the religious leaders questions, he said, is it lawful to do to do merciful, to be merciful on the Sabbath? And they were silent. And so he healed anyways. And so I think it goes once again back to what Dr. Bass said about yeah. love. He says, you know, I think that's the key. Uh, we can hold to our rules, our regulations, our religious structures, or we can love people the way Jesus wanted us to love them, which means holistically, which means, and I, I get it with that one question that you had about whether or not it's primary to the mission of the gospel. I think you can't divorce it from the mission of the gospel. Mm-hmm. I think that if you decide to make that your focus, I think that needs to be a byproduct of the fact that you're loving others and sharing sharing the great news of Jesus with others, I think a byproduct of that is going to be social um, mm-hmm. activism and sometimes political activism. Yeah,
1: that's why but, that's yeah. why I'm troubled. I mean, uh, later we'll end with a question here around education, but I'm, I'm challenged with uh, the fact that I'm a born-again Christian, and yet I function in silos uh, where maybe I'm in the suburban area. And uh, I think because it's all whites, we don't need to have blacks out there. And okay, they don't live there, but I can have teachers and instructors and leaders so that my children who are white, if I'm concerned about that as a mm-hmm. Christian, would understand that they're not the superior race on the earth. Right. Uh, that there are other folk that God uh, uses to uh, uh, change our world. Mm-hmm. And, and, and minorities, whether it's African Americans, Latinos, or Native Americans, have been an integral part of making this country and this world better. Uh, Let me go to the next question here. In in 1816, Richard Allen, a Methodist minister and several church members, had enough of being considered second-class citizens and and, uh, began the African Methodist Episcopal Church. They walked out. Uh, Do you feel that churches are realizing the oneness of a beloved community today? some 200 years later since Pastor Allen and several members walked out of the white church that sought to treat them like second class in God's kingdom?
2: That's an excellent, an excellent question. Um, I think there are pockets where some places are living into that. I think there is, there's awkwardness. I think because there's so much from the world's proclamation of what's happening racially. And the way to try to take all kinds of different social issues and put it together with the racial component or the ethnic component. I think that makes some difficulties but with that I believe that um, that some churches are trying to make a difference. I think of Derwin Gray, uh, transformation church out of Charlotte, North Carolina. I yes, I visited Mosaics there. churches. Uh, we have a Wesleyan leader, Santis Beattie, who is in the Dearborn, Michigan area. And there's just, uh, we've got several churches in the Grand Rapids area. We have churches that are trying to very deliberately work cross culturally and trying to build that and trying to live into it. Um, mm-hmm.
1: So, do you see that as important, uh, Pastor Bass? Do you guys see that as important for that to happen? That there should be this relationship, this connectedness, even if we live in separate communities? Uh,
0: absolutely, it's it's, it's important. Um, it's, it's absolutely what what Jesus in, intended to happen uh, in terms of bringing everyone together. And to answer the question, do I do I feel the churches are realizing the oneness of a love community? No. Hmm. Um, and and you You have some who do not um, want to realize that oneness of yeah. of community and so just like you have those who do, you have some who do not in fact, those who do not probably look at the churches who want who want that beloved community oneness as heretics mm-hmm. um and and so we we have a i mean we we've got a long road to go, but again, having those courageous conversation and 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 showing that Hey, you know, I I love you and I love you enough to tell you the truth. Mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Um and you know this start the start of that African Methodist um, church um was was great. But again, we know on Sunday morning is the most segregated time in, in, the, United in the United States of America. Yeah. And that's a choice. And no and and pretty much I want to say nobody, but we just don't have an issue with it being the most segregated time mm-hmm. in America. Yeah. Not enough people do. Yeah.
1: yeah, Yeah. I feel we we go to church on Sunday and we just in, enter back and re-enter into our segregated mind on Monday uh, because you see whether it's in areas of political, employment, uh, in all facets of uh uh, our lives uh, is this separate and supposedly equal uh, situation, um, and uh, we struggle with that oneness. And uh, I, I I think that uh, it's but it's important for us to be one because we can accomplish more together instead of apart. Uh, I like the ideal term of collective consciousness. Uh, we don't really uh establish oneness. Christ has done that. Right. You know, he's 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 made the body. Mm-hmm. He we he said maintain the unity. He didn't mm-hmm. say create it. We don't right. create it. We we struggle to just even maintain what he's created. So
2: I like what Pastor Bat said too when he talked about courageous conversations. That's really where a lot of it lies as well, is having courageous conversations. Um it's, it's a lot like vision. Vision is is looking forward and seeing what's not there and painting a picture of how it can be. It's what Martin Luther King Jr. did. He said, I have a dream. You know, he talked about the dream. And I think that's part of it, is to is to continue to paint that picture with courageous conversations, saying, yeah, it's not there yet, but I see that it, it can be if we continue to have courageous conversations. Yeah. Talk about difficult topics. Talk about difficult issues. Um, and on, for our, my white brothers ultimately saying, you know, I get it. All of a sudden I said something that was insensitive or I was ignorant of it and it, it was hurtful. Yeah. I, I need to hear that. Yeah. That's, that's I, hard and, to hear, but it's a courageous conversation.
1: And I think it's unique, Mike, just for us to be here uh, together as, you know, uh, African-American and, and white. But first and foremost, we're Christians. And Jesus did make a distinction when he said a new commandment I give unto you that you love one another, Mm -hmm. even as I have loved you. By this shall all people know, all men know you're my disciples, if you have loved one to another. But if we're not around each other, how are we going to love each other? So we expressly are, are either living in denial or defiance of obeying God. So even if you don't go to my church, I can meet with you. I can have coffee with you. And not with folk who necessarily have to agree with your understanding of what is black uh, or what is white, but somebody that uh, you acknowledge is equal to you. Yep. And one is in the body of Christ because we all come to the foot of the cross for forgiveness. None of us, are going to heaven because we are white or black or any other culture. So um, I'm enjoying this conversation and and your insights. Let's finish up here. As we look at uh, providing equitable and quality education, I know Pastor uh, Ramon Batch, uh, this is a passion of yours here. It has always been an issue of concern in America, uh, quality education. It was forbidden early in the 19th century to even educate African-Americans. Our schools for many years were poorly funded by white leadership in this country. And today, privatization of education is a growing concern. Do you believe the local churches should collectively come together to support our public education system? And if so, what should it look like?
0: Absolutely. Uh, The church should come together. Um, And when you talk about the uh, African-American church or the black church, that's where we were educated that's where all of our schools come from, is out of the black church. I don't know when and I haven't even I haven't looked at the research and, and Pastor Burlock, you might know. I don't know when the black church got out of the education business. Hmm. Um, but that's not something that we should that we should be out of. Um, you know, I I, I sat with um, recently a few weeks ago, and I was listening to a gentleman who ha- who is the principal of. One of the Christian schools—I won't call the school's name—here in the city, and I quickly became very disgusted with uh, with the arrogance of he, he kept using this this term um, a Christian worldview. Mm-hmm. So he kept using this term. Now I don't have an issue. With a, with a Christian worldview and you shaping things around a biblical text. And, you know, so you're looking at English and social studies and math around the biblical text. The issue became more of the arrogance as, as if this is the only place that you can get it.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And then mm-hmm. you did not, you, you don't lift up the fact that there's a foundation that should happen at home. That even even when that child leaves, if they don't get into your school, so you have a waiting list. So what happens to all of those children that don't get into your school? Do they not have an op- Do they not have an opportunity to have a Christian worldview in a public school versus a private school? Yeah. And so this whole education piece has um, has certainly become a a contentious point. Um, one because education is big business in in, in America. Uh, it's one of the growth industries. It's always making money alongside of healthcare and our jail system. Uh, and if you know, you can take a look. Take me up on it. Mm-hmm. Anytime you start messing with the jail system, healthcare, and education, you see the our millionaires and billionaires. Uh, who are mostly white white people they get up in arms and they get upset right and they want to start they, moving heaven and earth to make sure those dollars. yes mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right cuz that's where they're making their money yeah right yeah um yeah. and so yeah. we, we just you know our our education is poorly funded right. because it started to to me, and this is just my opinion mm-hmm. and in Annapolis we ha- we have a very strong brain Brain freeze. Mm-hmm. That our young people get their degrees, and and the very smart young they leave our city, mm. right? Yes. And then those who are who are smart and stay are not. They, it's a ceiling built for them. Mm-hmm. They're only allowed to go so far. Yes. Because you can't be you can't be smarter than me. You can't you can't dominate me. You can't make more money than me. And I'm afraid if I let people know who you are, if I let people get out. Uh, it, it get out that you know the things that you can do, then it's going to limit what I can do. Yeah. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and I know I'm going to touch on this thing, even with the privatization of education, how um, you know we've closed schools and uh, educating children in uh, abandoned warehouses or uh, something that was not an educational facility uh, now or um, and. In the privatization, at one point, uh, you would have teachers that didn't even have their education license. You have administrators uh, that would not have educational administration license. And it's interesting that you can't do that out here in suburbia land. You got to have that training. And yet they give us less than. The salaries are cut. Uh, For many of those administrators with the same qualification experience as whites. And so therefore, therefore, by you uh, privatizing education, you also reduce the income earning power of African-Americans and minorities in your city. Uh, And you provide those children with less than. Uh, that we don't have the band in school, the swimming pool is not there, and we couch it in that we're giving this STEM program, and that's good, but have the STEM and keep the schools, uh, but we don't do that and don't care about it because we're more interested in sucking the money out of that uh, uh, system.
0: Unfortunately, uh, Pastor Burwock, you cannot do that in our, in our community without help from from our community, and that's and that's the unfortunate part. and the, Exactly. And, and people don't you know. You can't just be, oh, look what the white man did. No. Mm-hmm. The white right. man ain't do it by himself. Right. right. That's no. right. Me, you, you cannot come into our community and do it without help. Mike, let me community.
1: give you one just one minute here. What's your thought around this before we close?
2: Well, I think one of the biggies is having to do with the proper funding of education because as you look at it, um, most most educational funding is tied to property values and property taxes. So when you have, um, you, you have these systemic issues that, in many many places where there are predominantly persons of color, one of the biggest factors of wealth is owning property, and many do not. And so you have a much lesser tax base to build those schools. I think a different funding formula for education would be helpful in that right, regard. Exactly. That would be a huge portion of that. But then I think churches, we did that in Muskegon area. We partnered with our local elementary school. We helped them do things like um, provide prizes to help kids stay in school to help combat truancy. So we did various things like that. I think churches could do some of those things.
1: I, and, and I'm going to end here, and before I ask you guys a couple of suggestions, and I think churches should collectively come together and challenge Challenge our legislative uh, 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 you know, system here to not base that was the choice to base the funding of education on mm-hmm. tax dollars from property. But let me end here, and uh, you know, you guys just take one minute apiece because we close now. What solutions? What one or two solutions or tangible actions uh, that we can help uh, that can that we can do to help us understand that we're just one body and to, get, to help the church have a collective voice today. Give me one or two quick things.
2: Build friendship relationships. Okay. Cross-culturally, cross that's one so of the so biggest.
1: What else, uh, Pastor Barry. He
2: took my answer. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> okay. and, and then you
0: took my other. Um, so I'll, I'll just mention, I, I think that um, we have to learn to see a, a human being, but also you see that I'm white, you see that I'm black, and it's okay for me to be black and for me to be white. You have to right. see that, right? And so, that whole um, notion of not wanting to, not you know, not wanting to be, you see me, but you don't see that I'm black. No. Yeah. Well, I don't see, I don't see or I don't color. I don't see color. Yeah, that's yeah. the thing.
1: Yeah. And, uh, you know, the reality of the matter, and then once you see that, you see something greater that I'm born again, Absolutely. that I accepted Christ as Lord and Savior. So, I'm in your family. Right. And you need to treat a family member like a family member. Thank you, Pastor Bats and Pastor Mike, for spending this time today to share your heart and how we can make good churches better for the glory of God.